All right, uh, we are picking back up our sermon series uh, in uh, uh, the Gospel of John concerning the Holy Spirit. We'll be in chapter 14 this morning. Um, and it's, it's important that we kind of take just a pause for a moment and remember that in the early chapters of John, uh, John was really trying to make very clear that the work of the Holy Spirit is actually our total transformation both inside and out. And that's, that's critical for us to remember, that it's not just all of the fireworks and all of the, the, the magical, mysterious, miraculous things that the Holy Spirit can do. It's actually the transformation of one single hardened heart from stone to flesh for rebels such as us to be willing to bow the knee to Christ as king before he comes as judge. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, in one of the other passages, uh, this would actually be in Luke chapter 15, what is it that causes all of heaven to break out in a party as a result of? Us doing miracles, right? Every time somebody does something miraculous, speaks in tongues or rises from the dead, right, the, all of heaven breaks out in a party. No. Why does all of heaven break out in one of the most miraculous parties you could ever witness? When one lost sinner comes home, when one heart of stone turns to a heart of flesh, when one rebel, one, not 10, not 20, not 1,000. The party gets bigger, by the way, if you get into those numbers, right? But, but when one rebel, one lost sinner, one hard-hearted individual responds to the call, the effectual call of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and is able to walk in newness of life, what a gift that that is what is true. And so we want to make sure that we don't uh, aim lower than what we ought to be aiming for in the power of the Holy Spirit. That our prayers are not too small, actually. That we only pray for wonder-working, sideshow-ish type things instead of the true miracle. The true miracles that are represented in this room right now. Right? We've talked about this before. Y'all didn't know me when, but you know me now. And can you imagine? Me without Jesus. Who laughed the hardest? Billy Ray. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. No. That's actually, I love that because that's pretty honest, actually. It's, it's really, it's not good. And so, uh, and so, um, so it's important that we, we don't lose what John is actually trying to communicate. And now we're going to get into Christ's words on the Holy Spirit. In fact, John 14 through 16 is the most lengthy discussion on the Holy Spirit in the entire Bible. Now, you may say, what about the book of Acts? Well, the book of Acts is more descriptive of events that are occurring in the power of the Holy Spirit to signify the advance of the church, right? Uh, and we'll get to that at some point when we do that. Uh, you could also point to um, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, but again, that's that's Paul trying to help them understand the right order of things. What should be, what, where, where should the cart and the horse really go? But if you think about the majority of our discussions and fights, it's never about people being saved, it seems. It's about whether or not we are awesome and we are powerful. And whether or not we actually are displaying some sort of the, 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 this kind of fruit Right? So the true fruit of a church ought to be, first and foremost, in children's ministry. There ought to be those who are coming to the Lord's table as a result of the, the missional work of all who serve in children's ministry. Uh, that is our largest mission field. There, there, there ought to be folks who uh, are going from death to life in our midst. There ought to be people who are being invited that need to hear the truth of the gospel. And some of you may say, well... Yeah, but you, I mean, you're, you're, you're pitching it kind of high sometimes. You're pitching it kind of hard. It's like trying to, you know, learn how to bat, not in a batting cage, but against Ramon Martinez maybe or something. Crazy. Yeah, but you need to understand that, again, that's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in, right? Some of us have actually been saved in what many of us would be declared as quasi-heretical circumstances. Uh, and so the Lord uses all kind of stuff, but he prefers most of all the thing that glorifies him most. So I'm not advocating for let's just do whatever. But it's important that our greatest desire would be to see for the life of the world people come to know Jesus. That's why we're still here. 
That's all. You're not, we, we weren't left here to get more awesome so that heaven could receive us. You, your, your ticket's punched. The question is, how are you affecting the tickets of all those around you and the power of the Holy Spirit? And so as we step into this, what you got to know is that this is a lengthy discourse or conversation Jesus is having as he has just had his last meal with them. John 13, right? And he's washed their feet, that whole situation, which is a very interesting thing. And he's teaching them to become servants like himself. He who came to be the servant of all. Servant for what purpose, by the way? Their redemption. That they, he came to serve the lost, not the found. We get that twisted all the time. He came to serve the lost. Now, does he forsake or forget the found? No. He loves them too, and he continues. In fact, that's what we're going to see here this morning, is he loves us so much, in fact, that he calls for the third member of the Trinity to actually indwell us for all time, sealed in the Holy Spirit. That's how much he loves us. He's not forgotten us or forsaken us, but we have the same purpose he did, which is display the glory of God in a fallen world so that others may come to know him. And so he is spending his last moments with them saying, as you might imagine, what he finds to be the most important things he could possibly say. In fact, if you were to take and read uh, John 13 through 17, you would find there's a, a tremendous amount of repetition. We're going to see it actually in the passages we're looking at this morning. A tremendous amount of repetition around one thing. It's obedience. Oh, man. It's going to be a long sermon, isn't it? All right, well, let's get it. Now, here's what I want you to walk away with uh, when it's all said and done. That our obedience evidences our love for Jesus who provides the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to teach and remind us of God's adopting grace and Christ's enduring peace. Let me say that again. Our obedience evidences our love for Jesus, who provides the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to teach and remind us of God's adopting grace and Christ's enduring peace. Now, I want to return to some language we used when we were in First and Second Peter. You can think of this in terms of the indicative and the imperative, right? The indicative, so, so who does what first? Who loved first? Are we called to love God first and then he'll do some stuff for us? We need to prove ourselves first and if we find ourselves to be worthy enough, then maybe he'll be nice to us and give us some stuff. No, which way does it work? According to the Bible, whether you believe in the Bible or not, is not actually consequential to this conversation entirely. It's what does it actually say? Can't twist it to say something else. So what does it say? Who loved first? God loved first. That is the indicative. The firm foundation of the indicative. In fact, he loved us so much, and we read this in John 3, that he did what? He sent his son... To condemn the world, right? What does it say? It says quite the opposite. To save the world, not to condemn it. Because those who are condemned are condemned already. That testimony's already been given. In fact, everyone who's born of Adam is condemned already left to that device. Unless we be reborn of the second Adam, Christ himself. So God so loved us that he sends, sends Jesus. Oh, and by the way, he sends some other stuff too, just in case. So think about it. Is this some sort of riddle that you've got to go find written in some cave or sand somewhere? No, he has ensured that you would have the longest love letter you're ever going to read in your life if you take the time to read it. And if you read it as just about anything else, then you're twisting it into something it is not saying. Now, for those of you who get a little nervous, did Cameron get liberal and soft just then? I see he's quoting Stanley Hauerwas later on and Eugene Peterson, for crying out loud. No, actually, love, true love, isn't cheap and has boundaries and requires something of us, right? It's relationship. It's relational. You try relating to people without boundaries. How's this go? How many of you, don't raise your hand, 
because I don't want anybody around, sitting around you to wonder. How many of you got somebody in your life who just, they don't have boundaries? They just suck up real estate and energy and spirit in your spirit. Every, they just, just take the life right out of you. So you try, try doing, loving somebody with no boundaries and you tell me how it goes without any sort of agreed upon, this is how I know that you love me, right? So what if, you know, there are some cultures where how you express your love is a lot more physical, a lot more close to, shall we say, violent even. How would that play out in the suburbs of Georgia here? The open hand slap was how I greeted every one of y'all in love. Just out of nowhere, from the bottom, just brought it from the bottom. <laughs> I've never done that. I'm not practicing that. So, so you see, it's not as if this is foreign to us. But what God is saying is, I loved you first. In fact, I loved you when you were completely and utterly unlovely to me who is holy. And I so loved you that I didn't want my holiness to utterly consume you in judgment that I made a way. And, and, and we saw this in 2 Peter, I am patiently awaiting the family to get bigger. I'm not tarrying because I've got nothing better to do. I tarry because I love you too much to call it right now. And so that's the indicative. And so when we are called to be obedient, it is obedient out of all of that love that God grants to us. And he resources the absolute mess out of us. He gives us everything we could possibly need so that we would recognize it's not pure duty. It's actually delight. He's inviting us into something that matters. We who struggle with meaninglessness at every turn. And so what we need to recognize is when he, Jesus, says over and over and over and over again in John 13 through 17, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's saying something while also resourcing that outright, making very clear what those commandments are and saying, I am with you the whole way. I will not leave you nor forsake you. In fact, we're going to see in this passage is Jesus admits even though it's only two commandments, which are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Really not two, it's really one commandment. You, you can't do one without the other. He says, now I get it. It sounds simple, but I know y'all. It's gonna be hard. In fact, it's gonna be so hard, you're gonna need a helper, a paraclete, a comforter, an advocate to come alongside you, indwell you, and remind you every step of the way of what's true. Because this isn't easy. So the question I would ask us as we step into this is, what do you, what do you most need help with in life? How many of you feel like, I'm, just, I'm, I'm out here just crushing it, killing it so crazy hard that people ought to make a video and write books about it. I don't need help with nothing. No hands? Cameron's scratching her eye. I think it's close to a hand raise. Right? We, we all need help, don't we? We all recognize that we don't, we ought to, you don't know one one billionth of anything, much less everything. Right? We don't know hardly anything at all when it really comes right down to it. We, we also don't have the strength to stop the aging process. Right now, Susan Tried to kill both of us this morning already. I just want y'all to know. I drank some of the worst stuff I've ever drank in my life. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it this morning. But, and, it, and here's the thing. This goes on for three days. I did see they had a one-day option, which she didn't take. They had a two-day option, which she didn't take. We're doing the three-day option. Take a long look at me because there's going to be a whole lot less of me from here on out. Right? And she almost got herself, which I think is hysterical. It was apple cider vinegar and as, as much cayenne pepper as you can fit into whatever container they had. Oh, and by the way, a little bit of purified pH alkaline water, which I didn't taste that one iota. I don't think there was much of that in there. But here's the deal. While that's, that's fine 
is it going to stop? Is, is it going to make me run faster, jump higher? Maybe, but for not good reasons. Uh, but but we're, we can't, we're not slowing this train. The days are going to tick off the calendar regardless of what I eat and what I do, ultimately, right? I think there's wisdom and moderation in trying to be healthy. Don't get me wrong here. But the fact of the matter is, we just don't have the strength. We don't know everything. I don't even know why we're doing this. I don't even know if it's, it's scientifically supposed to be done. Might be the opposite. Who, who drinks cayenne pepper? Like somebody smart figured out, you don't drink that stuff. So we need help. But not to mention, not only do we not know everything, not only can we not slow the calendar from turning, we also are just weak in our appetites. Y'all have any idea how I pregame for this thing? I ate, I think, I think it was a 35-ounce bone-in ribeye on Thursday. I gave Wes a little bit of it just to make it look like I wasn't a total glutton. And then I ate as many wings as I possibly could, which I just don't think is how you're supposed to prepare for this, but doggone I did. Uh, and, and I'm not just going to lie to you. I'm just not going to lie. And so, uh, so, so we're weak in our flesh, right? We need help, don't we? So, so what is it you need to help with? And are you, are you brave enough to admit it? And are you brave enough to recognize that the help is not going to come from within you? It's got to come from without or that which dwells in you that came from without. And in what circumstances do you feel like you need an advocate to help you understand the situation or to defend you? Parents, children, you never get sideways here, do you? My daughter was notorious for, she was convinced we just always needed a little more information and enlightenment would come and we would take her side, right? She was, I mean, she ought to be a lawyer uh, is what she ought to do. But I think she would rather do counseling, which is the other side of that. And just a little more information, your life will be okay. Um, but she, <laughs> she would always argue. I mean, there was no end to the argument unless we relented, right? But she always felt like we just need a little more information. And she would have loved to have had an advocate to translate because clearly we couldn't understand the English that was coming out of her mouth and vice versa. Married folk, you ever, have, you ever feel like, am I speaking any sort of language you understand right now? Have you ever, have you ever thought you told them something? I swear I told you, I swear you didn't. I never heard it. Or what I heard was completely different. You ought to try doing this for a living. If you want to get into some interesting communication stuff, especially being sarcastic and sometimes saying things low and dropping words out to get away with stuff, it's awesome. I get misinterpreted all the time. But we need, we feel like sometimes, I feel like I could use an advocate. How about you? Somebody just to defend you with people. To at least pave the way and sit down with people and say, okay, listen. He ain't right in the head, but he's funny. So hang tight, it'll be okay. Just somebody to prepare the way. Well, we have these things, actually. Are you using them is the better question. So as we step into this text, Keep in mind of what Jesus is really trying to communicate. What he really wants us to see is that the Holy Spirit is, is a gift of help so that we could finish the mission that he started, which is for the life of the world. So if you would give your attention to the reading of John 14, 15 through 17. <clears throat> Hear God's word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So again, this is we're stepping into the middle of a conversation in which Jesus is saying the most important things he can think of before he goes to the cross. And so he just wants them, he, he so desperately wants them to keep his commandments, which are to love the Lord their God, to know, and in order to do that, they have to know that God loves them. He wants them to be able to worship in spirit and in truth, and there be depth and, and uh, meat to that. 
But he also wants them to, out of that, love their neighbors as he exemplified over and over and over again. You cannot look at the life of Christ without noticing how much he loved people who were so broken and hard to deal with. He almost seemed to seek them out. Well, he did. Right? You think that conversation with the woman at the well, which is John 4, you think that was a fun conversation for him? Well, you, could, you always can cop out with, well, he's Jesus. But when you're perfect, think about this. When you are perfect, which none of us are, praise God, and, and it's whoever thinks they're, it's a, that you lost that battle quick. Think about trying to do that while being perfect. How much more is at stake for him as he's having this exchange with her and how it could have been interpreted? And think about how the disciples, when they came back, had a different read on it than what was really going on. They're like, hey, man, you're not supposed to be hanging out with loose women in the wilderness here. What are you doing? He says, actually, I'm training up disciples like you should be doing. And so he recognizes that the keeping of his commandments is actually for our greatest good. We were talking about this this morning in our joint meeting. So a joint meeting, for those of you new to Presbyterianism, is just where deacons and elders all come together. And one of the things that we've been trying to do is become a reflective people, Right? And so one of the questions that I ask uh, them is, um, what, what have you kind of seen going on in the congregation that helps you grow in your delight in the, the bride of Christ, going on in people's lives? And all of us can tell you that, that one of the things that is most uh, powerful to us is seeing redemption and reconciliation unfold in, among you. Right? It really is the, the, our greatest joy. If you think that Jack Lane... His greatest joy is taking up this dance floor that was here this morning in part. Like, you guys have no idea the, the circus we walked into this morning. Um, and and it, it, can, it, that, it can vary here. Uh, so you need to make sure you thank those who set up and tear down. I can tell you his greatest joy is not making sure that there are 50 inches for fire code in this aisle. He does it, but that's not his joy. His joy, our joy, all of our joy, is actually seeing the work of the gospel in each and every one of you. That means we got to get close enough to know what's going on, right? That means we got to ask some questions. We got to pray for you. We got to, you know, we got to we got to get near. And so, so what what Jesus is telling them is: Listen, the way to your greatest joy, your peace, your um, happiness, actually, is to actually do. The work of the ministry, to, to, and work of the ministry includes worship well, otherwise you've got nothing to give away. To worship well and love well, serve well. And so he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he goes on to say, which is an imperative, and he goes on to say, and I'm going to ask the Father, and this, this language is crucial, for another helper. Well, who was the first helper that was sent by the Father? Christ himself. See, Christ was sent to help them see that he loved them. To help them taste and see that he was good. To advocate on their behalf against the very gates of hell. To say that death and sin would not have its final say over their lives. Christ was their first helper. And so the Holy Spirit being another one is just going to do essentially the function that Christ did, and we're going to see that. He's going to point to Jesus always, which Jesus, as we read, points where? Earlier in John 14, he points to the glory of God the Father. And so the Spirit, as this other helper, in fact, the term is paraclete. I'm sure you all have heard that. No one word actually captures how much the Spirit does for us. He is an advocate, but that doesn't, that doesn't cover it all. He is a comforter, but that doesn't cover it all. He is a helper, but that doesn't cover it all. He does so much for us that it's impossible to capture it in one word, which is why a lot of times we sound like we're speaking in tongues. We'll just say paraclete, as if anybody knows what that means. And so, so what he's telling them here is that someone, someone's going to be sent that will do everything that I have done for you. 
and unpack all that I have done for you so that you will know how deep the Father's love for you. And he says, and this person is going to dwell with you forever. Now think about what a comfort that is. What can you do to lose the Holy Spirit? How many of you are afraid you've messed up and blasphemed the Holy Spirit accidentally? We don't do it accidentally. Think about it. How cruel would God be if he said, look, he's in the council of the trains. I look, I think it'd be really funny if we had this, like where they could accidentally just just perish, you know, just mess up and ruin their whole lives. Don't y'all think that'd be funny? No, that's cruel, actually. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a stub your toe and take the Lord's name in vain type situation. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to reject Christ himself. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to say that the things of God actually serve the devil, that you call good evil and evil good. So what he's saying here is, this helper that's going to indwell you, you're... You're not just going to mess up and lose him. Now, why would, that, why would he need to say he's going to dwell with you forever? Because they were going to encounter some circumstances where they, had, they felt left alone, departed from, lost. Any of y'all ever been there? You know you're a Christian, but sometimes you just feel lost. You feel abandoned. You feel alone. What he was telling them is, well, you may find yourself there. Remember this. The Lord is going to provide for you a helper who will indwell you forever. He says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So so this is really important. So if he's going to give them the spirit of truth, okay, because because of who they are in him, and he wants them to display their love for him by the their actions in the world. And if the world can't receive the Spirit through any of their own devices, then what is their role? To point the world to Christ. To show the world lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that the world would come inquiring. So that those who are lost would be found. So that hardened hearts would be transformed into hearts of flesh. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what he's saying is the world can't get there on its own. Your witness matters. Every single one of you in this room, if at any level you profess to be a Christian, your witness matters. And it's having an impact whether you decide so or not. Remember, he's going to say in John 15, the world will know who you are by the love you have for one another. He's going to say in John 17 that he essentially is dying so that the church would remain unified. How quickly do we give up unity? How quickly do we get irritated with one another and think that we don't have any cause to try to make it right? How quickly do we give up on this thing called the local church? How quickly do we give up on each other? He says, basically, I know This is going to be harder than it looks, what I'm asking you to do, which is why you're going to need somebody to be with you forever. Because there's never going to come a time. So what's he saying? There's never going to come a time that you're going to be so put together that you can basically say, all right, Holy Spirit, you can go help someone else now. Depart from me. I'm glad I knew you. Right? When is that coming? It doesn't. We will need him from here to eternity. When Christ returns. And so he's making it very clear to them that they are being given everything that it is that they need to be able to walk in the truth of the glory of God so that they can display this to a world that is perishing without it. Listen to what Stanley Hauerwas and William H. Willimon, two of my favorite co-belligerents, uh, in a book, The Holy Spirit said, they said that the Holy Spirit is here called advocate, indicates that in Christ... We are more than simply accepted by God or even justified by God. 
The advocate continues to plead for us to represent us to God in ways greater than our ways. Now, how do we know that's true? What does Paul say about that? What happens when you can't find the words to pray because you've said the same thing over and over and over again? You don't even know what to say anymore. You're so worn out and sorrowful. What does the Spirit do? He groans on your behalf. Groans. And what is that? It means that he feels emotively your pain, your sorrow, your burden. And he takes that before the throne of grace when you can't find the strength to continue going. Amen. That's what Howard Wass is saying and Willimon are saying here. He goes on. And to speak on our behalf to God better than we could speak for ourselves. At the same time, the advocate is God representing God to us, revealing to us, God to us, in ways that we could not have come up with on our own. The God that you would come up with on your own is no God at all. This is where we must admit that we don't know everything. And you may be thinking, if you're wicked like me, then what are you doing standing up on stage telling us all this stuff for? Well, because I need to hear it too. And and not knowing everything, it is important to study the word that we've been given. And to study it in in its context according to its scripture interpreting scripture instead of trying to form it and fit it into whatever cultural nuance has come along. This is timeless. The need of an advocate that God would provide for us after he has commanded one of the hardest things in the world, to love him, whom we don't see except through Christ and each other now. We're indwelt by Christ, the Spirit, and God. To love our neighbor? How easy is that one? How many even just struggle loving yourself, much less someone outside of you? Well, what are some ways that you express your love for Christ? Now, don't go getting all modest and getting all false in your humility and saying, well, I can't really say. I mean, that would be bragging, wouldn't it? (laughs) No. You ought to be able to point to some ways in which you actually are genuinely loving Jesus by keeping his commands. Which is not to exalt you at all, actually. Because you didn't come up with that. Nor do you have the strength to do it in and of yourself, which is why you're indwelt by the helper. So we ought to be able to reflect on, and this is something you ought to do periodically. If you can't pause once in a while and point to some way in which, and you may say, well, I came here to listen. You prattle on for a while. Well, good. That's a start. Suffer well. And then what are some ways that you've experienced and benefited from the indwelling and advocacy of the Holy Spirit? Again, I don't think we think about this near as much as we ought. This is where, yes, we ought to talk about the Holy Spirit and his advocacy and his help and the things that he brings to our minds and helps us to understand and the gifts that he gives to us. If you would turn back to the text and let's see the adoption and fatherly residence of God as Jesus continues. And even though he's telling them, I'm I'm departing from you, listen to what he says. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Did you hear what he just said after saying, I'm going to give you the helper. He makes it very clear. Listen, I'm not, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. 
You will be indwelt not only by the Spirit, but by me and by your Abba Father who loves you. And again, he doubles down on this, this need for displaying our love for him by keeping the commandments. And notice the context in which he's saying it because here Judas, not Iscariot, is asking, well, wait a minute, if you leave, how will the world know? How will the world see salvation and redemption? And what does he say? In and through you. Because we are going to dwell in you. And you are left missionaries for the life of the world. Now, I understand for many of you that word missionary, missional, all that stuff has a ton of baggage of varying kinds. Starting with the whole extrovert, introvert situation that we got going on here. Heavy introvert, very few extroverts. And so there's this sense at which we can hear that and think, oh man, that means I gotta, I gotta bug people. I gotta have awkward conversations with people. I gotta turn every conversation toward heaven or hell. Like we gotta get to a decision quick. Is that, no, that's not what's being said here. What's being said actually is out of your worship, out of your life, and you letting people see how you live. That is the firmest of foundations. That's the true beginning. And then those conversations are much more natural and far less awkward because you've actually got something to work with, something they can see. This is not a, you know, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. No, it's always necessary to use words. It's a matter of when you use the words. Now, what gives you the liberty to be patient? Doesn't depend on you. What else gives you the liberty to be patient? The helper dwells within you. And it is the helper that will ultimately reveal to those blind eyes, those hardened hearts, those deaf ears, the beauty of the gospel. But wouldn't it be incredible for you to get to participate in that and celebrate that participation in kingdom come? I don't think we recognize how much we are throwing away day in and day out by not thinking about these things. By not living in such a way that it transforms how we work, how we live, how we play, how we engage our neighbors. And so it's critical that we recognize that the question that they're asking, how is the world gonna know who you are? And the answer that he gives is being given to us as well. We, the church, not a building, but a people, we, the church, are the ones who will display the glory of the gospel to this broken and fallen world because of God's love for us. He's invited us in to this eternal and beautiful work. Listen to what uh, Frederick Dale Bruner says about this. I love this quote. He says, Jesus does not intend to abandon his disciples by his departure through death on the cross and then internment in the grave. He intends to represent them there and take their place in these grim places, defeating death and decay, taking the punishment for all their sin, representing the whole human race before God, reconciling forever these simple disciples and all those who come after them to join in believing Jesus, and burying their guilt forever in the grave. And then, as if all that wasn't near enough, he's coming back to them personally and even physically, almost immediately in his glorious resurrection from the dead, defeating death and decay and bringing them back by his spirit into good fellowship with the deeply loving father who arranged it all. So what are some ways that you've experienced and benefited from being adopted and, and, and experiencing the indwelling of your Abba Father? See, for me, it's interesting. I, my, so for those of you who don't know my story, uh, I'll tell it fairly quickly. My father killed himself before I was born, so I, I never met him. I don't know anything about him. Um, a friend of mine suggested I do one of those 23andMe or genealogy things so the government can track me and all that stuff. <laughs> it's not a conspiracy if it's true. Uh, uh, so so I, I just, I don't, I don't know anything about, so there's a whole part of my life that is, for me at this point, is just blank slate. I don't know. 
And then my stepfather, who claimed to be my real father uh, for, for about 18 years, spent 29 years in prison. And I don't know that he's still alive. And then, as you know, Mickey, uh, my, the family that took me in, it was, it was a hard relationship at times. He was, he was a, a, a tough man, a gruff man, but he did love me, and he just recently passed. And so, um, so it's been an, an amazing thing. You know, when I get caught up in my feelings and I'm feeling like super 90s angsty because that's when I grew up and I'm like, you know, listening to a bunch of Pearl Jam and uh, Soundgarden and, and, you know, just all, all in my feelings, I'm like, I'm a man without a country. I'm fatherless. Uh, all is dark. Um, as Stuckert would say, it's probably some book I'm reading on postmodernism, which has moved on apparently. And so... Uh, so it's interesting that, 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 that the Lord has just continued to be persistent in declaring that that is not true. I am not fatherless. I am not a man without a country. I'm not a man without a history. I am not a man who has walked in blank slate. <laughs> my cup overruns in this regard. And mostly by my Abba Father. Not to mention a host of other people who've kind of come alongside and said, it takes a village. <laughs> and so, um, and so what, what a gift it has been, though it has been extremely difficult. Um, I, I used to have, say that when my father put the gun to his head and pulled the trigger, that little did he know the bullet would travel through bone and flesh and the years. I used to have this image of a calendar and that bullet just traveling through the calendar. So I feel it year after year. Um, but... But I don't know if just getting older does away with some of that Pearl Jammy stuff. Uh, since the song Alive is kind of about that, if you didn't know. He, he was told his father was not his father, and as Eddie Vedder, and, and his real dad was dying with MS. Um, and he got to meet him right before he died. And so, so I had a whole soundtrack to this thing. And so, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's a perfect storm. And so... Um, but, but yet the Lord has continued to speak over and say, no, that is not true. You are not an orphan by no stretch of the imagination. And I'm sure he speaks the same over many of you as well. But we do need to meditate at times. What, what are some ways in which our adoption has mattered to us? If you've never read J.I. Packer's Knowing God, his chapter on adoption is hands down the best thing I've ever read on the adoption of God. Um, it, it, well worth your time. Um, but we need to meditate on what's the gift of the indwelling of the Father uniquely. If you would turn back to the text and let's look at remembrance and peace of Christ. <clears throat> Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So as Jesus is closing out this particular section, he, he's leaning in a bit more to the work of the Holy Spirit, and he's letting him know that, hey, listen, one of the key things that the Holy Spirit's going to do for you is teach you and bring to remembrance what I have said. Now let me ask you. I get it. They were an oral culture primarily, right? So not a lot of this stuff was necessarily, they, and folks were writing some stuff down, but they didn't have the canon of the New Testament per se. How much less do we have to complain about than they did in terms of trying to remember this stuff? You ever, you ever try to just remember what someone is saying verbatim when it's critical and you're, you're trying to pay attention Right, And they're just talking all the time, as Jesus seemed to do, about stuff. Because everything mattered, everything was, every riven thing was displayed the glory of God. And so, so we have a less excuse than they did, but you can't bring to remembrance what's not in there. 
You understand? So, so as, a, as a people of the book, for us to not spend time in the book makes the Holy Spirit's job a whole lot harder, as it turns out. And makes your ability to actually keep Christ's commandments a whole lot harder. Now, I don't want any of you to hear me say, all right, let's all do the 30-day Bible challenge. We're going to read the Bible in 30 days. It's out there. If y'all want to do it, let's do it, but not really. Uh, and so, and so but what I am saying is you need to be storing up, as Christ said in Matthew 6, where, where neither thieves who tried to break into our church trailer this past week, they saw a bunch of crayons and got discouraged and left. Uh, they cut the, cut the lock off. Um, we live in a fallen world, let me just tell you. Uh, and so, and so we're, you're going to be storing these things up in your heart where treasure, true treasure cannot be taken away. And it is not up to us to decide whether or not what God says is legitimate. The question is for us to figure out how it is that he's declaring his love for us through what he said. Do you see the difference? And so what he's saying is the Spirit will work with all that. He's going to teach you what that means, but you've got to ask. We just don't ask good questions a lot of times. Our prayers sometimes just don't have good questions in them. You know, we're, we're, we're still doing the, just tell me what you want me to do. Love, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor. No, 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 just tell me what it is exactly that you want me to do. <clears throat> love. The, I'm going to say it slower because apparently you get it if I say it slower, right? Uh, you know, so we, we get so tangled up in, in asking for boundaries that if he gave them to us, we would spill outside of them because we'd get angry because he got specific with us, right? This happened, by the way, historically. Read the book. Go memorize the book of Leviticus. You can't eat it red lobster. This is terrible. Those little biscuits, I, I think they're in play. You can have them, but you can't eat that other stuff. Right? You can't eat at the barbecue joint? No, man, I'm out. I didn't, no, I don't want to know what you want me to do after all. I know he don't want me to drink no cayenne, pepper, and apple cider because he didn't naturally put those things together. He separated them for good reason. So, so you follow what I'm saying is we, we, we keep playing, we keep moving the goalpost on him. Tell me exactly what you want me to do so I can tell you I'm not doing that. If you don't tell me exactly what you want me to do, I'm not going to not do any of the other stuff either. I'm just going to be rebellious. And so here Christ is saying, ask this question. God, how, how does this help me lo love you better? How does this help me understand your love for me better? And how can I love my neighbor better, living this out? And so it's the Spirit that will bring those things to our remembrance, that will teach us, that will mature and grow our minds. And the result will be the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding. Notice he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. How many of you, that, you wrestle with that all the time? Your heart, you're just a constant mess of anxiety and your heart is troubled frequently and you so often lack peace. And here Christ is saying, I'm offering it to you and lavishly. And I know that it's, it's not a straight line from there to there. But our obedience doesn't lead automatically to peace. But it's, and that's why he says, He'll have to dwell with you forever because you guys are going to get this all kind of wrong. And I love you so much that I don't want you to be alone. I don't want you to be orphaned out here in this fallen world. I want you to have everything you need so that you will know that God loves you. And notice what he says his purpose is toward the end there when he says um, that I do as the Father has commanded me. So he's not asking us to do something he didn't do, by the way. How's he expressed his love for God the Father? He kept his commandments. And notice there's a difficult exchange coming, isn't there? It's called Gethsemane, where Christ will be so broken over the thought of being separated from his father. Body so broken, bones not broken, I understand that part, don't, don't be that guy. 
Uh, and so, and so he, he cries out, if there be any other way. I don't see one, but you, God, if you know of one, I'll take it. As long as it accomplishes the same thing. But if not, may this cup not pass from me. And essentially, he drinks it to the dregs on our behalf so that we would never taste of a moment's worth of separation which we can't take in even droplet form. And so he's saying that I am doing what I'm at. I've done what I'm asking you to do. And then he goes on to say this. Listen, so that the world will know that I love the Father. See, we should be doing what we're doing not for any particular result other than the world would be able to bear witness to us loving Christ and the Father and the Spirit for what they have done for us, a people so filled and overflowing with gratitude at what God has done for them that it's hard not to want to know what that's about. And it's not near as noxious as some of the forms that we have put forward that look nothing like any of those things. Listen to what Eugene H. Peterson, who went to be with the Lord earlier this year, said he has a devotional book on the writings of John called Forces Concealed in Quiet. The world's way to achieve peace is to eliminate that which disturbs you hear that? Yeah, that should bother you. Listen to a lot of the political rhetoric on both sides of the false binary. They're really just one people saying the same thing in some measure, but picking the people they want to get rid of in some measure. It is you eliminate that which disturbs you in some way, shape, or form. We, we have this philosophy as well, Right? If it hurts, don't do it. But if it feels good, do it. Not questioning, right? We don't want to grow. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to suffer, which is the means by which character and hope are built. The world's way to achieve peace is to eliminate that which disturbs. God's way is to restore the unruly, to bring order to chaos is another way of saying that. The world's way to achieve peace is to say, shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. The Lord's way is to say, be still and know that I am God. The world's peace is a precarious house of cards. God's peace is a cosmic wholeness. All things made new. So what are some ways in which you have experienced and benefited from the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding? If you're here this morning and you're saying, <clears throat> I don't, I ain't never felt that. Well, that should bother you enough to come talk to somebody and have them pray for you. If you're in a season in which you felt it previously, but now you find yourself in an arid and deserted place, again, that should bother you. You got to come talk to somebody and let them pray for you. You may say, what's praying going to do? I don't know yet. We ain't done it. But when we do, we'll keep our eyes open for where the Lord will be at work and what he's going to do. And if I ain't got words, I know somebody who does. Groaning's too deep for the words of men and women. And so if, if, if you are overflowing with the peace of Christ, don't put your light under a bushel. Be a city on a hill. Let people know about it. And when people ask you how you're doing, tell them the truth. Don't lie. See, a lot of times we lie about how God is at work in us. We actually lie about the peace of Christ that has come into us because we don't want to offend anybody, as if that would be offensive. And what's going to be offensive is when they come to you and say, why didn't you tell me? If there's ever that moment. And so the, remember the goal of all that Christ has done is that we would be reconciled to God, that we would be at peace, that all the things that are separated and fractured and broken would be brought back together again for the glory of God. 
And that we have been left here to work that out between the now and the not yet as ambassadors of what? Reconciliation. We're not ambassadors of judgment, although that's part of reconciliation. We are not ambassadors of a political party. We are not ambassadors of even a denomination. We are not ambassadors of any of these things primarily. They do occur on the secondary and tertiary and quartiary. I don't know if that's a thing, but check it out. If not, I'll patent it. I need something in this world. And so, so it's important that we remember what we are ambassadors of and that that is what we are foremost putting forward and anything else we talk about has been run through that grid first. And that we recognize we are here for the life of the world, not just to survive until Jesus shows up. This isn't a game of survival. So may we be a people who display gloriously the beauty of our redemption. John 14, 15 through 31 teaches us three things at least. <clears throat> and it's just one long sentence, but that our obedience evidences our love for Christ. You can't get around that. I, I don't, you, you basically have to come up with a new religion to try to get around that one from a biblical perspective. You can say that makes you feel guilty. You can say that makes you feel bad. It shouldn't. And if it does, you need to come talk to somebody so we can pray with you and help you to see. But as a Christian, there's no way around that our obedience evidences something. Now, the question is, are you talking about legalism or are you talking about love? Those are two different things. Sometimes you've got to work that out. And sometimes it's a hair's breadth of difference depending on your heart. Our obedience evidences our love for Christ who provides the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to teach us and remind us of God's adopting grace and Christ's enduring peace. May this be true of us, his people. No matter how kind of rumbling, bumbling, stumbling you are, sometimes that's some of the greatest display. I remember in particular there was a guy from the rescue mission named Larry who he started coming to one of our small groups and it was the best thing ever because he just so simply was broken by God's love for him and he had nothing. I've never seen somebody have less than Larry did in this world. I did Larry's funeral uh, he was a diabetic, and he uh, drank himself to death one night. You may say, well, wait a minute, doesn't that change the story? Not a lick. In fact, it allowed me to preach a different funeral than if he, I hadn't heard him talk about how much God loved him. And you may say, yeah, that's a terrible end. And you're right, it is. It's not a good witness. That's not a good death. But one of the things Larry was able to do is so display that, even for a brief period of time, that it impacted everybody he was around but his weakness got the, got the better of him, but not eternally. I do hope he catches me first, right after Nebuchadnezzar in heaven, uh, and says, hey, I got in, and I'm shocked you're here too. Um, having said all that, let me pray for us. We have uh, one, one more song than the benediction, but, it, but listen, please don't be in a hurry to get out of here today. If, if you are struggling with peace of Christ, if you're struggling with this idea of obeying as a reflection of love, let's talk about it. Uh, let's, let's pray with you. Um, let, us, let us love one another well this day um, and, and grow in, uh, in our understanding of the paraclete, the helper, the advocate, the comforter that has been given to us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, may we love you by keeping your commandments and your commandments are to love someone who has loved us first, who has loved us so lavishly and sacrificially that it, it doesn't even make sense on paper or in a simple math form to not love you back given all that you've done for us. And yet, Lord, we struggle and you know we struggle, which means your grace is even greater because you grant us not just Christ and his redeeming work, but the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit forever. We will not be without an advocate, a witness, a testifier, both to us and for us. God, we give you thanks that you, um, you, you put such glory in such earthen vessels that we would be invited into this grand narrative, this redemptive story 
as ambassadors, that we get to represent a victorious king. It is not up for grabs. It's not up to us. But we are invited in with all of our gifts and all of our baggage and all of our doubts and all of our strengths and all of our experiences. You use it all for your glory. Would you give us just a sense of being indwelt by the Spirit, being indwelt by you, our Abba Father, being indwelt in union with Christ? Would you empower us, embolden us to be witnesses for your glory? Would you grant us fruit that would cause all of heaven to break out into a party and give us a little practice between the now and the not yet? In Christ's name, amen.